My name is Michaela Chirilla. I'm the assistant bakery manager from the Mountain View Harmons, and you're listening to Taste of Harmons. All right, welcome to another episode of Taste of Harmons. I am Brandon, and with me, as always, is Chef Leslie in the house. I don't know where that came from. No, I'm going to change that. But it was lovely. Okay, great. Wonderful. How are you? I am fabulous. I'm really excited about today's subject because I know some, but I. I want to know more. I know nothing. So this is going to be a very interesting experience. Okay. So we do have uh, two guests with us in studio today. We have Chef Aaron and dietitian Janelle. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead and give us some deets. Some chef deets a. 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 Ron. who I am. Yeah, who are you? I'm Chef Aaron. I'm the executive chef for Harmons. That's who I am. Okay. How long have you been with Harmons? Seven years. Yep. I started out as a cooking school intern in the cooking school at City Creek and uh, was fresh out of uh, culinary school and I worked also in all of the departments. So I worked in the meat department, the bakery, and the deli, and the produce department and did my internship um, with Harmons. And then as soon as I was done with my internship, I worked for a very brief stint in the delicatessen as a chef. And then uh, they hired me as the cooking school chef at City Creek and did that for three years and absolutely loved it. Probably the best job I've ever had in my life. And uh, then got the opportunity to come on as the executive chef for the company and have done that since. Fantastic. Janelle, how about you? Um, I am one of Harmon's registered dietitians. Um, I'm mainly at the Brickyard store. So if you want to chat, that's where you might find me. Um, I've been with Harmon since 2011. Um, I started off at the Bangor Crossing store and then I chose to transfer to Brickyard when that opportunity arose. Um, I really love that location. Um, I love the, I love Bangor as well, but Brickyard is uh, a little bit better of a fit for me. And I really enjoy both of our associates and customers there. How long have you been a dietitian? Since 2011. Oh, since 2011. Yeah. So did you do an internship or mentorship with Harmon's? No, no. We, um, I was only our second dietitian, so there wasn't such a thing as being able to have an internship with Harmons when I started. Okay. So we started that um, after a few years that we had dietitians, we started taking interns. Um, I was very excited as I was graduating and getting ready to take my test. I saw the job opening and I was like, man, that would be the perfect job for me. Um, I'm very passionate about food. I am very passionate about the prevention aspect of the diet. And um, this job allows me to, you know, have both of those things go together. Yeah. Let's talk about our subject today. Yeah. So health and food, oils plays a big part into that. So we're talking about oils today. Yes. We haven't really even brought it up. No, we have not. Here's the subject, the debut. The art of oils. The art of oils. And specifically, like from my point of view, I do know a little bit about what I cook with on a daily basis, what I like, what I don't like, but I'm very interested to hear about the nutritional value of them. And hopefully we're going to send people in the right direction when it comes to what oil do I choose at the store? Because there are quite a few that we carry. So first of all, let's talk Chef A.A. Ron. I'm going to call it, well, I, would you care for, can I do that? I go by Chef A.A. Ron. I go by Sharon, Chef Aaron. That's really great, okay. right? All right. Let's talk about the history of oils. Talk to me a little bit about where we kind of were way back when, and then gradually let's talk about what's happening today. So some of the earliest uh, archaeological and um, written records that we have on the production of oils uh, come from China and from the Middle East. 
um, Central Europe. And they go back in Europe, they go back about 3000 BC. Uh, in China, it's about 2000 uh, uh, BC. But in essence, anything that's organic is going to have a, a, a lipid in it or a fat in it. And uh, with animals, it's easy to get to. You know, you just slaughter the animal and you render down the fat. And so you have animal fat. But uh, in vegetables, you basically have to pound whatever the vegetable is into a, a paste or a slurry and then apply pressure to squeeze the oils out. And the process is very, very simple. Uh, sometimes they would squeeze it out into water and then they would allow the uh, and they would use baskets like mesh baskets. So uh, olive oil production uh, in in specific anciently was uh, the millstone would be would be used to crush the olive fruit and the, the nut. And then they would take that paste and stick it in, um, you know, spread it onto a kind of a grass mat. And then they would lay another grass mat on top and they would put more paste on and another grass mat. And then they had a press um, that would, you would apply weight to the press and would press the olive oil out. Depending on what, you know, when you're, when you're taking and, and stacking stuff, you're already kind of pressing oil out. And that's the first press what we would call the extra virgin olive oil. And then you, the next press would be virgin olive oil, and the next press would be olive oil. And, and anciently, they would be used for different things. The first press would be used for God and for ritual and for the kings. And that would be the no pressure on, on the uh, oil um, press. And then the second one would be for the humans, and the third one would be for cattle and for lamp lighting and thing like, things like that. But that was specifically in regions that we're using olive oil. I mean, you go to North Africa and you have a different um, type of oil being made out of nuts. And uh, they're using a different process uh, where they're extracting the oil into water and then they're allowing the oil and the water to separate and skimming the oil off the top. And so oil production, you know, wasn't just for cooking. Uh, anciently, they also uh, made soaps. Um, in fact, online you can get on YouTube and there's a really, really great uh, video of how they make uh, olive oil soap just like they used to uh, 2,000 years ago where they you know, lay this big vat of cooked down olive oil with hyssop and, and all sorts of you know, great flavors. And then they, anyway, look it up. Let's come back to America, if you don't mind, and let's talk about, uh, from a production standpoint, let's talk specifically about cooking oil. So you were mentioning in a story earlier about Procter and Gamble. Though. Oh that yeah, was yeah. Very so interesting. in the so in the eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds. I mean, commerce was commerce for meat in the United States really centered around the pig because beef was expensive. You had to refrigerate it. It wasn't easy to cure. But the pig, you could get, you know, twenty piglets out of a sow every six to 10 weeks or whatever. And you have tons of animals coming off big animals, you know, 1200 pound animal coming in some um, instances and tons of fat, easy to uh, preserve this animal. And so all of commerce is based around the pig and pig fat, uh, not only for uh, food oil, but for industry and for soap making. Um, Procter and Gamble, it's really funny because they're, they're, two men that were in the uh, oil business who came together because sisters married them. So one sister married Proctor, one sister married Gamble. They came together and said, oh, we got to find a, we got to find a way to get cheaper oil and do something cheaper than get, 
you know, this pig fat because everybody's using pig fat. It's hard to get. So they took cottonseed oil and they created a process called hydrogenation, which basically cooked the cottonseed oil and processed it into a solid. So you were making soap out of pig fat and it was heavy and dense, but all of a sudden they were cooking this and processing this and hydrogenating this uh, this uh, cottonseed oil and it would float. And so their big thing was, uh, we have a bar of soap that floats. You're not going to lose it in the, in the bin or in the tub. Uh, and they called it ivory. And that's where ivory soap came from. Well, while they were doing that, they were like, you know what? This looks a lot like lard. Uh, let's see if we can market this. And so they use this hydrogenating process to create solid vegetable oil. And they called it Crisco. And so it was vegetable shortening. What they didn't know at the time is that process created tons and tons of trans fats, which are bad for you. I mean, John L. could probably pipe in at this point and talk about trans fats. Yeah, so we're actually lucky at this particular time because trans fats, so um, as Chef Aaron had mentioned, were created in this hydrogenation process. And trans fats are very bad for heart health. Um, so we thought at the time that we were doing something really good because it was a healthy oil that they were using. Um, most of the time, at least in the last you know a few decades, um, they were actually maybe using a soybean oil, which is considered to be fairly healthy. They were hydrogenating it. So it was thought to be this healthy thing. So we thought, well, lard is really high in saturated fat. Butter is really high in saturated fat. So we should use this low in saturated fat oil because it's going to be so good for us. And as it turns out, that was um, the wrong way of thinking about things. So that was kind of in the, what, in the 60s, 50s, 40s, that they hydrogenated things? No. Earlier. Earlier. Okay. And then when did we start discovering that trans fat was a no-no? A few decades ago. I don't know exactly what year it was. It was in the the early 90s. Yeah, that would make sense. Okay. So Um, let's start talking a little bit about the health benefits of fat. In your opinion, John uh L., how would you... Let's just talk about the the main cooking oils. How would you rate them from healthy to unhealthy? Let's start maybe with what types they are first. So we know what we're talking about and then get into the health. Okay, that's fine. So what types of oils are there? Just uh, basic. Cooking oils. Yeah, cooking oil. Well, you've got your standard canola, safflower, sunflower, uh, cottonseed. You've got your nut oils, walnut, peanut. Um, So any nut that you can eat. You've got an oil, uh, you know, seeds, flaxseed, which is a very unstable oil. And then you have safflower seed, which is really stable oil. Um, and it really depends on the chemical makeup of the oil. Then you have your olive oil. Uh, you have your animal fats, tallow, lard, uh, butter, duck fat. Um, you've got, uh, am I missing some? Avocado oil. Peanut oil. Uh, I think that kind of goes along with those nuts and seeds. Coconut oil, palm oil, I think you maybe mentioned that. Yeah. So then the health benefits on on these then? So what we're primarily looking for from a health benefit standpoint is the healthier oils that are going to be, and it's primarily heart health that we're concerned about, are going to be our liquid oils. So think any of those nut and seed oils are going to be considered healthy, our wonderful olive oil. All of those things are going to be considered fairly healthy, and there's, you know, a range, but those are all going to be considered fairly heart healthy. Um, The ones with more saturated fat, 
um, are going to be considered less heart healthy. That doesn't mean they should never be used. I'm a firm believer in everything in moderation, but we also shouldn't be treating them as these are so healthy and we should just add them to everything we're making. Um, you know, there was quite um, there was quite a lot of coconut oil being added to everything from morning coffee to your smoothie in the morning. It's pretty high in saturated fat. So coconut oil has its place. If you're making, you know, um, I'm sure as Chef Aaron can attest, if you're making a delicious dish where the coconut oil flavor would be good, great. But we don't want to be using it extensively. Yeah, and I, and I also believe it has to do with application. Um, because some oils are really healthy in certain applications and then really unhealthy applied in a different way. So a, a perfect example would be walnut oil. A great oil, um, but it's not a good cooking oil. It's a good finishing oil. So that's an oil that you would put on a salad because it has such a low smoke point. So heat, once you start applying heat to oils, the health, the healthiness of the oil starts to get, I think that's where a lot of people latch onto, oh yeah, saturated fats and, and are healthier for you uh, than um, vegetable oil because of heat application, what happens to oil when it, when heat is applied to it. When you're frying and you're, you know, you're making a fried chicken or, or a, a chicken tender and you're wanting to have a healthy oil and you decide, well, I'm going to use olive oil to fry my chicken tender. Olive oil has a certain smoke point and at a certain point when the heat is applied, the olive oil will start breaking down. So it has dissolved organic compounds in it that uh, under heat will start turning carcinogenic. And some uh, vegetable oils will start uh, breaking down into trans fats when heat's applied to it. And so if you're doing a lot of frying with that oil over and over again, like in a delicatessen application or in a kitchen application, cooking with uh, soybean oil or canola oil, you have to add stabilizers to it and sometimes flavorants to it to keep it from breaking down into carcinogenic compounds um, after so many fries. Well, something like beef tallow, um, which is extremely stable at high temperatures for a long period of time, high in saturated fat, almost 50% of it is saturated fat. But what it does under high heat application, and, and, and I would agree with John Ellen, she would probably agree with me to say that fried foods to begin with are not a heart healthy um, choice. Absolutely. But if you're going to... If you're going to indulge... If you're going to choose to eat that way, and you're going to choose to fry your food, choose an oil that's going to be stable, not break down into trans fats, and not become carcinogenic after repeated frying. And and in defense of beef tallow, um, it's a very flavorful oil, and it also creates a very, very flavorful... Uh, quality product. When Can you're you tell we have a beef towel advocate here? Yes. We do. To a large extent, I do agree with what you're saying. I think using the appropriate oil for the appropriate application is 100% correct. Um, from the research I've looked at, there are going to be some carcinogenic compounds formed just from the frying of the food, even when you use the correct oil repeatedly. So, um, the numbers can be a little bit low, but um, I agree. But I don't think um, this precludes people from having fried food. I agree that it needs to be more just moderation. 
you shouldn't be eating fried foods every day. It should be once in a while and, you know, enjoy them when you're having them. But do keep in mind that there are some health detriments to be eating a lot of fried food. Like, let's just talk carcinogenic, right? if If you're cooking a steak on the grill, you've got the caramelization happening, you do have a little bit of char happening, right? The char is where you've gone beyond just the Maillard reaction, breaking the amino acids down into phenols and, and flavor compounds. So listen, listen, listen flavor medium compounds. well, people. Yes. So you're taking the protein, you're denaturing the protein, then you're turning it into several different amino acids or flavor compounds, phenols and esters down to its amino acid base. So one of the things is glutamine. And we always think, oh, monosodium glutamate, monosodium glutamate. But glutamine which is monosodium glutamate uh, salt. The salt or monosodium glutamate is the salt of glutamine. Is an amino acid, which is a flavor compound in the break, you know, in the breaking down of proteins. You go beyond that, then all of a sudden you've cooked all of that stuff out and you just has char, like you said, which is carcinogenic. Right. And so, yeah, so you don't want to continually apply heat to something cuz you will end up with carbon, which is what we're worried about. Right. So you're talking continue, continual heating. Is that where this only applies? Qu- question being, because well, I mean, I if you like, I love to go to a certain place and get burnt ends and tips. It's like extra crunchy and extra dark brown, and I just love it. Well, I have it once every six months because I know that that's probably not the healthiest thing for me. Well, they're the charred bits. Okay, but so what I'm. How does an, uh, a customer or an, just a normal non-chef or dietitian person go and understand smoke temp and understand how to best use this oil and not abuse it and not make it become a, a carcinogenic char, whatever aspect terminology you guys are using? From a nutrition perspective, and Chef Aaron can talk about you know the benefits of flavors in the food because he's the expert in that area for sure. Um, We do have a wonderful handout in Harmon's called Selecting the Right Cooking Oil. And we give you a rundown basically of what those are good for. So for example, we have, you know, we talk about the smoke point, we have like what are the high heat oils that will be more appropriate for your high heat cooking. And those that are going to be better as Chef Aaron had mentioned earlier with, for example, the walnut oil being more of a finishing oil. So we do have that information um, available. Um, And then from other health perspective, just watching to make sure you're choosing something that's going to be a little bit healthier. Um, And we also address the issue with, from the health perspective, we are not quite sure whether the propellants and anti-foaming agents and spray oils, we don't know whether they're really that great for us or whether they're really bad for us. So um, we've added dietitian's choice to the oils on the shelf. And so we have some spray oils that don't contain those propellants and anti-foaming agents. And those are the ones we tagged just to err on the side of caution. So it's more like a pump bottle or are there there, there's one under there's one under pressure. I I am a particularly big fan of the Pompeian bottle that it doesn't have the propellants and the um, anti-foaming because it sprays so much better than the previous ones. It just has a really nice even spray. Um, And like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't care to use a spray oil. I I actually only use it for a few certain things that I make that where I want to coat something. Um, So, you know. I, I'm not a proponent of having to use a spray oil all of the time, but when you're using it, I think it's better to make that safer choice. 
uh, Chef Aaron, when you were in the cooking schools, I actually took a little, uh, an informal poll of all of our cooking school chefs and what oil they go for when they're teaching their classes. What oil would you use? I, th- I think uh, generally I had a um, three oils that I would use uh, in cooking. If you're every day walking around oil and you're you're wanting something that's fairly flexible, tolerant to high heat, but also good finishing oil, uh, full of flavor, olive oil is going to be my pick all, every day, all day, and all the benefits you get from olive oil uh, and using it. Um, if I'm doing something a little... Um, a little flavor dependent, something that where I want to really develop rich, rich, deep flavor and uh, fattiness. Uh, I'll go for duck fat. Wow! All the time. Okay. You know, you can. Can you get that at Harmon? Uh huh. You can get duck fat at <laughs> Harmon. Excellent. Um, you can get beef tallow, t- bison tallow, duck fat, uh, manteca, lard. I mean, all what? of that stuff. I use duck fat very sparingly because it is expensive. Um, and not so healthy for you. Uh, probably not. Yeah. Um, although duck fat is uh, liquid at room temperature. So going back to uh, what Janelle said, usually uh, fats that are high in saturated fats are uh, sal- solid, semi-solid at room temperature. So I would ask some of the other chefs um, that we've got a blend. Some will use a blend of canola and olive oil. Some use grapeseed, which we didn't haven't talked about yet. Extra virgin, I'm going to save that for a finishing oil or a salad dressing or something like that. Or would you use extra virgin to cook with? I cook with it. Do yeah. you? And then the other oil I use for high heat applications uh, is avocado oil because its smoke point is That's very expensive, high. expensive, dude. It's, ex- it's expensive, but if you're searing something, you know, you're using like two tablespoons. Okay. It's not a big deal. Okay. You know, you can get a really high heat, um, a high smoke point. So if you're searing like scallops or you're creating a stir fry, mm. you want high heat so that you can get a nice okay so would this be wrong because my intuition is telling me i might sear it in that and then at the very very end i might throw in a pat of butter because then those milk solids get ridiculously browned would that burn there would be the danger of it burning uh if the pan was too hot so probably not a good idea well or just turn the heat down yeah and then add the butter to finish because it has a nice little flavor to it right well what you're doing is basically caramelizing the milk solids to getting that nice brown butter flavor to it. Right. Okay. I'm hungry. (laughs) Just said scallops. It doesn't take much. Um, So on the health side thing, you've mentioned uh, repeatedly on this that it's heart health. Is there any other aspects that we people should be aware of health wise when consuming oils or is it strictly about heart? It is mainly heart health. There is, you know, also the concern. So as a dietitian, I would prefer people are getting more of their fats from whole foods. So think about a lovely avocado, some nuts and some seeds, because you're getting other benefits. You're not just getting the fat, you're getting, you know, maybe some fiber. You're maybe getting a little bit of protein, depending on what it is. You're going to get a little bit more antioxidant out of the whole food than you would out of an oil. However, I do think oils are a part of all of our diets. I mean, I certainly use oil in my house. And like Chef Aaron, I think um, an olive oil, a good one, is my 
top pick for what I'm using. Um, there is also the concern, though, with the oils. There's a lot of calories in oils. And, you know, being overweight is a risk for a lot of things. So if you're overdoing the oil, there is that risk that you are going to gain weight from just too many calories. And so just thinking about um, that is going to increase risk for things, not just heart health, but certain types of cancer for diabetes. There's a lot of things that does increase um, the risk for. So when you say overdoing the oil, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Because I'm thinking at a, like, from a cooking, is it just how how much you're, or how often you're cooking with oil? I mean, I pretty much put like a slick of oil in my pan before I start cooking anything. Is there, but is there a difference a if you just spoon. if you did a tablespoon versus a gallon? How much of that really applies to your steak that you're searing, or like when, absorption? Is yeah, that what you're like, talking about? Like. When is, how does someone know that you're overdoing oil? I know like you're not going to be going and, you know, frying your chicken tenders every day. We just talked about that frying foods is repeatedly is not a good thing. So you're overdoing it there. I get that. But what about cooking and how you're preparing stuff? An extreme example would be um, confit, which means with fat in French cooking in uh, comparison to frying. So we think that frying is really bad, but 75% of the frying process is actually um, steaming or evaporation. So the hot oil is pulling all the water out and it's actually creating a bubble barrier around what's cooking. And so the oil isn't actually touching the product. It's it's boiling water out. And, and in fact, you don't get browning when you're frying until the very, very end when all of those bubbles disappear and the oil is actually coming in contact with the surface of the product. By that time, the proteins in the meat should have coagulated enough to where it's not absorbing anything. Um, and most of the absorption is coming in uh to the breading on the outside. So if you go to a Herman's today and you're like, oh, you know, he's talking about fried food. I want chicken tenders. Go get a chicken tender and really, really concentrate where you're going to taste the oil, the majority of the oil. You don't get it in the meat. You get it in the outside. That's not saying it's healthier. But in juxtaposition to confit cooking, which means to cook in fat at a low temperature. So you have you have a, a chicken leg in some fat at 180 degrees for 12 and a half hours. That is just soaking it up. The oil is in there. Now on an everyday cooking uh, scale, like if you're searing a steak, really what you're looking for is is adding temperature value to the cooking surface and nonstick. So I tell people a lot of time, if you want to cook with less oil, Season your pans with oil before you cook because then you're adding less and you don't get the stickiness. So the way you do that is you take your pan, put a little drop of oil in your pan and wipe it with a paper towel. Turn on your heat source and bring it to smoke point just where you start seeing vapor come off and turn it off. You can do this once a week or a couple times a week, but what you're basically doing is evaporating the oil a little bit. So you're creating a... A barrier. A, a barrier, a non-stick surface. So now you have your... And you let it cool. Uh, even 10 minutes, 15 minutes before you're cooking is enough to get a, a pellicle or a barrier uh, set on your pans. This is how you make your, your stainless steel pans actually work for you instead of you having to work for the stainless steel pans, which most of us do when we cook with them. Then, when you bring your steak into play, you're using maybe a tablespoon at most, at most, probably more like two teaspoons yeah. of oil to get a nice sear on the product. 
And then you're not adding a lot of oil to the cooking process if you're doing a, a saute or something like that. John, now I have a question for you because I feel like we've been really, really Mediterranean specific talking olive oil, olive oil, olive oil. If I'm cooking Thai, if I'm cooking Mexican, those countries don't, don't typically use olive oil in their cooking. Are they going to be more likely using a soybean oil? Are they going to be more likely to use a canola oil? Give me some thoughts on that. I think different cultures do have different liquid oils. And kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, those are still going to be a good healthy choice, those liquid oils. So think about if you're making a nice stir fry and you might put a little sesame oil in there. Um, that's going to be a nice healthy oil. Um, it actually has some antioxidants in it. Um, so it's going to be a great choice. So any of those liquid oils are going to be fine. Some are going to be a little bit better than others. If I'm going to pick, let's say I really want a neutral flavored oil for something and I'm not high heat cooking, you know, I might choose a canola oil, which is actually still okay for high heat. I might choose a canola oil though. I don't typically choose soybean oil. And part of the reason is I'm actually not opposed to it. But most Americans get enough omega-6 fatty acids, and your soybean oil is quite high in omega-6. What we really need to see are a few more omega-3 fatty acids in the diet. Both of those oils are what we call essential oils. Our body cannot make them. We have to get them from food. And yes, there are plenty of other really terrific food sources for both of those. But primarily, most Americans are getting those omega-6s from processed foods that maybe contain a soybean oil. Canola oil is kind of nice because even though it still contains omega-6, has a higher level of omega-3 than a lot of other just sort of neutral cooking oils. So you were saying canola. So canola is a rapeseed oil, right? It's a it, Yes. So it is, it's a rapeseed oil, but it's not, um, it has been one that has been hybridized over the years so that it is more, um, it's healthier. And I say that because, so rapeseed oil, when it was first created, was an industrial oil. It was used for lubricants. It had a lot of uracic acid in it, which we don't want to see in what we cook with. That's not good for us. Um, so that had been hybridized over the years to have a lot less of that uracic acid in it. So it's a healthier choice now. And um, so I think I like, I like where the nutrition profile is with canola oil. Um, Olive oil is still my primary choice. It's going to be a bit healthier. It's full of nice monounsaturated fats. But canola oil is terrific as a nice neutral oil for cooking. Um, those are the two primary oils I use in my home. And, you know, like Chef Aaron, I might get a little bit of walnut oil if I'm making a beautiful salad and I want that flavor. Um, I use sesame oil when I'm doing Asian cooking. So there are a lot of oils from around the world that can be a really good, healthy choice. It doesn't have to be just kind of the standard ones we're using in the U.S. Okay. So now I'm going to be completely selfish and ask this question. So my go-to chocolate chip cookie recipe always asked for a stick of Crisco okay. and a stick of butter. Okay. And it made the most beautiful cookies known to mankind. Okay. And then all of a sudden, Crisco's a bad thing with the trans fats. So then I substituted it with another stick of butter. Okay. It's, She's I mean, waiting for the punchline. Yeah. I, I'm waiting to <laughs> talk to me here. <laughs> the question is, should I go back to Crisco? Should I stick with the butter? Would I put something else in? So this is a really good question because I think this is the thing a lot of people are wondering. So one, trans fats are really out of the food supply um, as far as the partially hydrogenated oil. What they've replaced this with primarily in things like a shortening um, would be a fully hydrogenated oil. 
Now, the difference is that doesn't actually contain trans fats, or if it does, it's such a low rate that, you know, we're not really too concerned about it. Um, however, I don't feel like enough research has been done that we should really be recommending fully hydrogenated oils yet. I was doing a little research on this, and it was talking about in order for a fully hydrogenated oil to act like um, the partially hydrogenated oil did, so get the right texture and, and um, added to your foods, they would have to interesterify it, which means they're going to have to mix it with typically a liquid oil. Um, there is maybe a little bit of health concern with that. So I would say I would stick with the butter if I'm making cookies and if they're turning out right for you. And, and I would say um, just from a flavor standpoint and an application standpoint, uh, going with an animal shortening and not with um, butter. If you're going to be choosing butter, which is high in saturated fat, I'm going to add another stick of butter. Okay. Uh, add beef tallow. Add I am so going to make that this weekend. You know, a stick of butter. Beef tallow. A stick cookies. of beef tallow. Yeah. Try it. <gasps> okay. Then I'm going to have to do, th- I'm going to have to make a batch with the butter. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to do a blind tasting. Oh, we, we totally want to hear the results <laughs> <Yeah>. of that. <laughs> I'll bring them in. Yes. Uh, beef tallow has a fairly n- neutral flavor. I mean, maybe, maybe tiny bit perceptible that it, that it comes from an animal. Less than butter. Butter is very perceptible where it's come from. Um, but you're making cookies. So you've already, you've already committed to making something unhealthy. Right. Uh, to, I throw a little to your body, but healthy to your soul. Yeah. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? God, I love you. The new nemesis is palm oil. Now, whether it's a true nemesis or whether it's a, a bona fide nemesis, can you talk a little bit about palm oil? Yeah, and then I'm going to pass a little bit of this on to Chef Aaron because I know he's a little passionate about this topic from one perspective. But from a health perspective, palm oil and coconut oil, so we call them the tropical oils typically, are really high in saturated fat, more so than even things like the butter and the tallow and the lards. So you're going to see in those typically almost all saturated fat out of their fat. So let's say there's 14 grams of saturated fat or fats, it's typically 13 grams of saturated fat. Now there has been a lot of claims um, you know, on the internet about coconut oil in particular being so healthy. Um, the research that has been done has been so like such small populations and a lot of it has been animal studies that I would take those claims with a lot of salt, like a margarita size amount of salt. Done, so, <laughs> done, done, done. So, a dietitian just prescribed salt. <laughs> margarita <laughs> size of salt. And it's not even new. Everything in moderation. <laughs> Margaration. There you go. I love it. So from a health perspective, the claims that they're making about coconut oil are just not substantiated. I'm not going to say they never will be. Their claims are partially that there are short um, chain fatty acids in the coconut oils. Um, and there are. But there's also a lot of long chain saturated fatty acids in there. And so we don't I don't see a point of taking a nice healthy oil like an olive oil or something and re- and replacing it with coconut oil. However, again, for flavor application or like Chef Aaron was mentioning earlier, like having a nice high heat cooking where that's going to be good for that purpose, um, moderation with it, but it can certainly be okay. 
Um, but there is another, you know, maybe a little bit of a dark side to the palm oil that I think maybe Chef Aaron would like to talk about. Well, palm, palm, coconut, and uh, what was he? Oh, soybean. soybean. Yeah, Brandon and I were discussing this before uh, the podcast, and they say now that in Sumatra, the only place that orangutans live are in sanctuaries that are protected, and primarily because of the tropical oil industry. Um, and so the deforestation, just the, the and, and it's not just the deforestation cutting down trees. It's actually burning, slashing and burning the, the, the country. In fact, um, it was so bad that uh, it was causing respiratory health problems, just so much burning of the, of the rainforest uh, for the palm kernel oil industry. And so um, it's lucrative. And then when you get, when you get it, popularized by dietary uh, trends and and uh, things like that then that's the dark side to the whole coconut oil industry you know apart from the fact that it does impart flavor to your food which i don't particularly find uh, appealing unless you're making a coconut uh, dish i completely agree um right <laughs> yeah not uh, a fan. and then the other fact is it's has as much saturated fat in it as an animal cooking oil. Um, at least that's what I've, I've heard. So why would you impart coconut flavor to your food when you could add butter and it would be potentially the same health effect uh, on you? But then there's all that whole other effect of what are you doing to the environments that these products are coming from? The problem, though, is you've got the processed food industry. They need a new cheap oil, right? I mean, as long as there's demand... How do you lard? <laughs> but it's not shelf stable. We we come all the way back full circle back to lard. Is it right? shelf stable? Uh, you can make yeah. If you go to the you go to the the oil aisle and and there on the bottom no, is I get a little that that in, in its in its brick form it is stable, but in a muffin in a in in a little donut is it going to be shelf stable? Yeah not any different than butter. Oh my butter. gosh, we're going to go full circle and go lard. I also think that the lard you're seeing on the brick shell, uh, the brick form on the shelf is typically fully hydrogenated from what I've seen. I think what Chef Aaron is referring to is we do carry it in a jar um, where it's not quite as solid. Um, and, and, and it's not quite as solid because, um, so lard actually has a little bit less saturated fat than even the coconut oil does. It's probably, it's in the range of butter. So maybe about half saturated fat. Um, so there's that issue. Um, I would, I'm just, I'm going to play, um, the dietitian here for a moment strongly, but we really, we really need to think about how much processed foods we're having. And so, some of these things would become less of an issue if we were to be cooking more at home. And, you know, again, we're using less oil likely if we're cooking at home. Um, I love the fact that we have cooking schools at Harmon's because I am fully convinced that people who cook at home are likely to eat in a lot more healthful manner than people who are eating out all the time or people who are eating a lot of really processed foods. If you're eating, you know, these things with all of, as you pointed out, having the cheap oils and things, um, that isn't really great for your health. Um, we need to do a lot more in the way of cooking at home and using less of those things that the industry needs. It would be a lot better for the health of our entire nation. 
and I'm sitting here nodding my head. Oh, and, we all are. And, We're like little bobbleheads in here. And generally, evolutionarily wise, as far as humans are concerned, we consume far more calories than we ever have historically, ever, ever. And fat has always played an important part in who we are as humans. I mean, the fact that we have these big brains, super computers inside of our noggins in comparison to all other animals, that is an expensive computer to run. And fats are the primary fuel for that. But evolutionarily, while fats played this super huge role in um, in who we are as a species, now we've turned around and made food so available at the at you know you just go to the grocery store and you're hunting and gathering all this processed food at your fingertips and going home with a huge basket of probably probably one shopping trip. And this is just speculation. Um, would be a couple months worth of food to a paleolithic uh, uh, human species uh, historically. I mean, we were, we were, we were eating nutrient, um, not very nutritive, uh, high fiber, sometimes poisonous uh, foods, uh, getting at the fats and the healthy um, things in our diet back then was really hard when cracking open bones and, and processing and chewing meat that took us hours to chew until we learned how to cook it. So you're expending a lot of calories to eat some calories just to keep you alive, not plump and, and luscious like most of us are nowadays with what we have access to. So my, my point on top of that is not only should we be eating less high processed food, but we should be eating less processed at home food um, if we really want to be healthy. And by less, I don't mean like way less. And Mike, drop right there. Quick question, though. We mentioned coconut oil, that it does bring in the flavor of coconut. So you're only But there's using refined for- coconut oil now that doesn't have it, right? That makes it neutral in flavor? Yes, you can get a refined coconut oil, but it still has the same health implications. Um, And what's really interesting is I found one on our shelves that is a liquid coconut oil. So you would think less saturated fat, but no, it has the same amount of saturated fat as solid stuff. And I, I am honestly not quite sure how that's happening. I'm sure it's a processing technique, but I don't know what technique they're using. Let's talk about what the daily recommended intake of fats is. What is that? Very good question. That is that is a really good question. We're, we're getting some a little bit of laughter over here. But I think like mine's, he was ready to pop out the same question. I, I was beat not. Him to it. But, oh, uh, no? No. Oh, dang. Go, but okay. go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so, so really fat should be a significant part of our diet. We're looking at about 30% of our calories is really where fat should be for the day. I am not an advocate of going really low fat with the diet. I know that was such a trend for a while, but all that meant is we were eating processed other foods. I mean, we all remember those low fat cookies that were just kind of sweet and gross. 100 calories. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we don't need to go in that direction, but so that of our daily calories, though, keep in mind that a lot of that should be coming from things that, you know, that are going to have some naturally occurring fat. So think about if we're eating a whole grain versus a processed grain, the whole grain has a little bit of fat in it. And yeah, it's not a ton, 
but you're getting a little bit of healthy fat from that whole grain. If you're eating avocados, you're getting a good healthy fat. If you're eating nuts and seeds, you're getting good healthy fats. I had a good maki roll yesterday, sushi with salmon, avocado, cucumber, nori, and the rice. Is that a good amount of fat? Yes. Okay. I would say that would be good. Um, it probably wasn't with brown rice, but it would still yeah, be great that you're eating white. your fish. And salmon is a really good also, job, as you Chef pointed Leslie. out. <laughs> I had a cookie after. As you pointed out, it's also, you know, a source of fat that's going to be a good, healthy choice. Um, so there are those options as well. Okay. So again, coconut oil with the flavor of coconut. Let's talk infused oils and the flavors of that. Um, a FODMAP, I know, because we talked with dietitian Ashley, that infused can actually help with that because you're putting like garlic in there, for example, if you can't process the garlic, but you're still able to get the flavoring profiles on that. Um, is like health-wise still kind of that same thing with the infused and then cooking with it as well? Should we embrace like the infused oils? oils? Yes. So from yes. a health perspective, what oil are we infusing? So I think that's the question you should ask yourself. If it's a nice olive oil that you're infusing, that is going to have the same health benefits of a non-infused oil. If you're infusing a coconut oil with some other flavor, then it's going to have the same potential health detriments of a coconut oil. Um, I will tell you the dietitians love this recipe that is the zoodles with Harmon's um, or, or the Shibika olive oil, either basil or garlic, and just adding some nuts to it and letting it marinate with a little salt and pepper. Um, it's just such a fresh dish in the summertime. And I'm not opposed to pasta. I just love that as sort of a veggie side. What are the zoodles? Zucchini or the... The zucchini noodles I like for that particular one. Because, you know, you don't need to cook it. It's just a nice fresh summer dish when that time of year comes around. Yes. And and I think on infused oils or flavored oils, um, you have to... It's it's important to educate yourself on how they're infused. Is this an artificial flavorant that's add to, added to the oil? Or an artificial oil flavorant, like truffle oil. Everybody's like, oh, truffle oil, truffle oil. You know, truffle oil is a synthesized, uh, the truffle flavoring is a synthesized uh, flavoring. And it's um, um, not not that great. No, it's, it's, it's pretty gross. It's kind of artificial in But its if flavor. you look at Shabika, on the other hand, uh, with the olive oil that we carry, all of their flavors are actually... They'll take the actual fruit or the habanero or the lemon and they they grind that up with the the olives and the oils of the lipids that are in those items are pulled out and they bind with the, the olive oil and, and truly flavor the olive oil. That kind of used to be a craze maybe in the 80s. It was like infusing your own vinegars and your own olive oils. But there was a big caveat, right, with garlic. Yeah, I would be very, very careful. I, I, in you fact, can I kill don't, people. Yeah, botulism. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would completely... Uh, um, caution people to do that at home. Do not add fresh greens or fresh product to your oil and think that you can put it on the shelf and it be safe. Or uh, give it as a gift or... Yeah. 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 Buy, buy oils that are infused at the grocery store. Don't do your own infusing. And if you are, uh, read up on it and be very, very careful. So one of my go-tos is, uh, you know, I often, I'll cook my egg in the morning with a big old pat of butter or something. But whenever I do some sort of a crab fest, which I do every single year, I will take a pound of butter and I will clarify it. And another name for that is ghee, right? The Indian word for the clarified butter. Janelle, can you talk to us a little bit about that and the health benefits or maybe not so healthy benefits? 
So ghee, at the end of the day, they've removed, they've removed the milk solids, which makes it perfect for like a higher temperature cooking where you're looking for some butter flavor. Um, but it still has, you know, they've removed the moisture and they've removed um, the milk solids, which means they're concentrating what's remaining a bit more, which means it is actually going to be higher in saturated fat typically than even butter. So from a health perspective, I have not seen enough research. There's there's a lot of health claims saying this is good for this or it's good for that. I've looked into that and the research simply doesn't substantiate it. Um, so I think from the perspective of a high heat cooking where you're looking for butter flavor, fantastic. But again, this should be something that's used in moderation. Okay. Do you think it's right up there with coconut? It actually would have a little less saturated fat still than coconut okay, oil. So, so butter, I, I would coconut. Yeah, mm. I, I would put it somewhere in that in between category, but still pretty high in saturated fat. So just use it moderately. Um, if it's your you know once a year crab, crab fest, yes. fantastic. Yes, enjoy enjoy it, but you know it shouldn't be an all the time thing. Well, and and culturally, ghee comes from um, a country where there's a lot of cows, right? So that's going to be culturally their primary source of animal fat. And then to make it self-stabilized, because you don't have refrigeration, you're going to clarify. It's the same thing in Europe and the same thing in the United States. And culinarily, uh, clarified butter was the thing. I mean, you go into any kitchen and they have a little bin of clarified butter in front of you. And part of the mise en place in any kitchen was to clarify butter so that you had something to cook with, uh, with flavor. That's, I think, kind of a a rollover of ancient history into modern cooking uh, kitchens. Now in modern kitchens, you don't see clarified butter uh, because we have refrigeration and you can use regular butter or you can go get avocado oil or you can go get some, you know, something different. So I think ghee has maybe some mysticism behind it, behind it from where it comes and Western society is really mystified by Eastern culture and health and things like that. So it's really just clarified butter, which comes from a cow, which is high in saturated fat. So I'm going to go back to butter really fast. It's all about me, apparently. I just keep coming up with these ideas. So here's my thing. There's a lot of like butter crocks, butter bells, things. I literally, maybe my family goes through butter so fast, yikes, uh, that I just leave my butter out on the table because I cannot stand hard butter. Uh, is that okay? Like how long is too long to leave your butter out on your counter? Is that good or bad? I leave it on my counter too. Same God here. bless you. I go for the refrigerator and um, I, I in particular for everyday use, I like to use a butter canola blend so it's soft. Is, I still get is the that butter like flavor. in a tub? Uh-huh. Ah. Yeah. And then, I, and then it's a little lower in saturated fat. So um, I use regular butter for certain applications. Like if I'm baking, that's obviously not good to use a butter canola blend. But for everyday use, I typically use the butter canola blend. See, because I look at the tubs and I just immediately think of my youth and the, the margarine. So then I go to avoid those, but now I guess I should rethink So this that. particular one that I use, and there are actually a couple of different brands on the shelf, is actually cream, salt, and canola oil. That's it. So it doesn't have, you know, maybe a lot of additives that people would feel uncomfortable with. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to try that along with the cookies with the beef tallow. And let us know how that goes. I will. I'm very, I'll very bring him curious. In. I'm going to have Miles, my son, make, he's, I said, dude, when you get to like dance asking age, 
just a plate of the cookies, a little poster, you're done. You're like in like Flynn. So we've been talking a lot about olive oil and there are different levels of olive oil that you kind of went through during the history of the olive oil making process. Let's talk to me a little bit about um, the different, the different levels of olive oil or qualities of olive oil, whether it's real olive oil, if it's been, you know, so the primarily most of the olive oil um, producers, traditionally have been out of the Mediterranean and, and Europe. Um, and while some say that they have a really strict um, control over, you know, where their olive oil comes from and, you know, origin controls, every country has their different um, um, moniker for that. But uh, you also have some criminal elements that are adding different oils to it and calling it olive oil. So a lot of times I like to steer people towards uh, olive oil from Spain, Australia, uh, in the United States, particularly California. Um, if you're, if you're wanting a trusted source. Um, and then as far as grades of olive oil, it really goes back to what we were talking about before on the number of presses or what, what part of the press there, you know, your extra, extra virgin on cold pressed olive oil, you're going to get the highest quality with the least degradation to the quality of the oil and the, and the effect that it has on the, the flavonoids and the antioxidants and things like that in the olive oil. The more you press it, the more heat you apply to it, the, the cleaner it's going to look. And the uh, higher the smoke point. I don't know. I can't speak to that, but I would assume so just because of, of, you know, dissolved organic compounds in something are going to break down faster than the oil. So I would assume, but I don't know that piece of information so much. I don't cook with olive oil. I cook with extra virgin olive oil, um, partially because I like the health benefits of it. But yes, the more press applications you give to it, the the lesser in quality or the lesser in the health benefits that you're going to get out of it. John L., you wanted to say something? Yeah, so more processed olive oil. So once you get beyond maybe that second pressing, they typically start chemically processing it. They bleach it, they deodorize it. And so you're not going to get such an olive oil flavor as I'm sure Chef Aaron was mentioning. However, it does make it more um, stable at higher heats. I, I did look into that. And so your more processed olive oils are stable at higher heats. There you go. But olive oil also is like wine. If you get a good quality extra virgin olive oil coming from different places of the world, you're going to get terroir. You're going to get the flavor of those places. I mean, we have an olive oil that we sell that's uh, sustainable. Um, It's fair trade to the farmers in Canaan. So we're talking about some olive trees that are 2,500 years old that they're still pulling olives off of and making olive oil with. Um, And the flavor on those, you're going to get a little bite in the back of the throat. I need to know its name. Uh, Canaan, C-A-A-N, or C-A-N-A-A-N, I believe. Just go j- just go to the store and uh, look. They're top-shelf olive oils. All right. Great. Hey, Chef Aaron, how long, if I buy an extra virgin olive oil, should I keep it, and how should I store it? Just room temperature, 70 degrees, uh, and dark. That's why olive oil comes in um, a dark glass. Typically... Three months maybe would be the max that don't I would go. Don't leave it next to your stovetop. Yeah, don't leave it or store it in the cabinet above your, your range. Put it in the cupboard. Um, and then smell it before you use it. If you get any sort of like off chemical smell or it, um, you can tell it's rancid. I mean, you pop, pop the top and you'll 
smell it and it'll just smell it'll almost have a tiny bit of a fishy smell to it um and then it's rancid throw it out this has been so enlightening i'm really happy we had both of you and you behaved yourselves we didn't talk over one another it was like wow that was really good (laughs) (laughs) my kumbaya moment for thursday thanks mom (laughs) this is as well behaved as i get (laughs) thank you guys very much for for coming out and enlightening us it's very very helpful absolutely thank you if you have any questions reach out to a dietitian they're very informative all-knowing i wouldn't say all-knowing but at least we'll admit when we don't know that's high praise (laughs) you'll find out yeah yeah and then you can go to uh, harmansgrocery.com for any more information on this or take a cooking class yes Uh, take a cooking class sign up for a cooking class one of our seven cooking schools and uh ask them about oils and what their favorite oil is Wonderful. Uh, Give us a rating, and if you're inclined, a review on Apple Podcasts. That would help us out a lot. We'll just see you next time. Until next time, it's been real. Thanks for listening. Please visit us at harmansgrocery.com. 